0: Welcome to Spirit of the Camino, a podcast about the unique and magical experience that is the Camino de Santiago. Join us on this adventure and discover the spirit of the Camino for yourself.
1: Hello and welcome to the first episode of the first season of the Spirit of the Camino podcast. I'm Nick and I'm here with Wendy and it's been less than a week since we returned from our latest Camino but we're excited to relive it on the podcast.
0: Yeah, you know, I was kind of sad to arrive in Santiago just because I didn't want that Camino to be over but I guess this is one way that we can keep it going.
1: For sure. And so our first season is going to be all about the Portuguese route of the Camino de Santiago. This is actually the second most popular of all of the routes to Santiago. And this is the route that we've just walked. And so just to set this up a little bit, um, there are several places that you can begin this Camino. We began at the beginning in Lisbon, which is where we live. And this is about 610, 615 kilometers to Santiago. The most popular place to begin is in the northern city of Porto. And this is about 240 kilometers to Santiago, and then some people begin even further or even closest to Santiago in the Spanish city of Tui, which is just across the border uh, in Spain. And this is just over 100 kilometers to Santiago, and that's obviously the minimum uh, requirement that you need to walk in order to receive a Compostela at the end. So, those are the three most common uh, starting points, and we started right from our front door in Lisbon.
0: Yeah, and that was a big appeal, big part of the appeal of this Camino for me. Uh, I've been wanting to do it for several years now, and, and I really wanted to start from Lisbon because we live in Lisbon, and I really loved the idea of just being able to walk out of our door and just keep walking until we got to Santiago.
1: Right, and so the other aspect of medieval pilgrimage, as I often remind you, is not only that you begin by walking out your front door, but also that once you get to the end, you have to turn around and walk back. Yeah. But but we didn't do that.
0: No, I'm not so keen on that part of it.
1: (laughs) Okay, so it did take us 32 days to walk from Lisbon to Santiago, and it took us about six hours to get back on a train. So it was kind of interesting to go back on a train and just zoom through all of these places that had taken us so long to walk through.
0: Yeah, but it was also interesting to, you know, have that opportunity to reflect back and look back at these places and say, hey, remember when we were there? um, you know, 15 days ago, 21 days ago, uh, so yeah, I thought that was interesting, and I really did like the feeling of arriving in Santiago knowing that I had, I had just walked there, that's the only thing I'd done, I hadn't taken any other form of transport, although I guess there was a boat involved, but we'll get to that later. (laughs)
1: For this season, we have a series of episodes planned, and each of them are going to focus on a particular topic that's relevant to this Camino, to the Portuguese Camino. And it might be nicer to start with a more positive, heartwarming kind of topic, but this is 2020, and you can't talk about anything without uh, first mentioning the coronavirus pandemic. And so that's the focus of our episode today, is what it's like to walk during the pandemic.
0: Yeah, obviously it does change things, and I know that there are a lot of people who are curious and are wondering if they might be able to walk themselves, perhaps they are thinking about planning a Camino, but have a lot of questions about how that works in pandemic times, so we've just done it, so we're going to tell you.
1: Definitely. Uh, and so this affected all aspects of our Camino really from the planning uh, all the way through. And so we'll start with planning, because at the start of the year we had an idea of walking a Camino in the north of Spain, walking the Camino Olvidado, and then hooking up with the Camino Invierno, and going to Santiago that way. And that was going to be something that we thought about doing in around June. Uh, it turned out that you couldn't do anything uh, in Spain even by June, or it was just starting to open up um, by then. But once lockdowns began in Europe in March, we pretty much gave up on the idea of walking a Camino, even perhaps for the whole year.
0: Yeah, I think we threw all of our travel plans for 2020 out the window. And um, a lot of our trips did get cancelled, and some of them are just never going to happen. But the Camino, we decided that that was the form of travel that we were most comfortable with, and particularly this Camino starting from Lisbon because we didn't have to take any transport so we didn't have to fly or you know get into any other kind of public transportation where we would be crowded in with people uh, so that made it feel safer to us and There were other factors too, like we were going to be in uh, our own country where we have health insurance and we're also covered by the public health system in addition to our own private insurance. Um, You know, we speak the language and we could get home really easily if we needed to cut the trip short at at last minute's notice.
1: Right. And so all of these factors combined made it seemed feasible that we could walk this Camino. So around June, Portugal started to open up um, and Portugal wasn't hit as hard as a country like Spain or a country like Italy. And so it seemed like it could be possible to do it. Just having this advantage of being able to just start in Lisbon uh, was a huge factor uh, in it for us. So in around June, we decided that we would walk this Camino in around September if Things were going okay, and it turned out that they were. Portugal, as I said, had has handled the virus quite well, and the day that we walked, there were less than 300 new cases uh, that day in Portugal on the 1st of September. Unfortunately, since we've returned, those cases have risen quite dramatically, but at that time, it seemed like uh, things were pretty much under control as, as much as they can be. Yep. And so there's always a risk in, in going and we were a little bit hesitant about it, but as you said, given that we didn't have to take transport and we didn't have to worry about things being cancelled, flights being cancelled, having to quarantine upon returning home and things like that, it just seemed to make sense.
0: Yeah, and obviously for a lot of people, El Camino this year won't make sense. Uh, Maybe also next year it won't make sense. We'll have to see how this plays out. Um, But there were some other people walking. We did meet some other pilgrims, obviously not nearly as many as you would expect in other years. Um, And they were all either Europeans or people like us who are not European citizens but are living in Europe. Um, So, yeah, for some people... Including us, it was feasible.
1: Right. So once we decided that we would walk, it did change a little bit the way that we packed. Um, We obviously had to bring masks we had to bring hand sanitizers, although, in fact, you don't ever really use your own sanitizer because sanitizers just provided everywhere virtually every shop or every kind of uh, restaurant or bar that you go into.
0: Yeah, that's in Spain and Portugal.
1: Right. And we also packed sleeping bags, which we've never done on Camino before. Usually we just pack a sleep sheet and we use that uh, and then combine that with blankets that are provided by the accommodation where we're staying. But we had read before we left that a lot of the albergues were not providing blankets at all. And so we decided to bring sleeping bags. And it turned out that that was a wise decision, I think. We didn't use them every night. We used them probably six or seven times maybe out of the 32 nights, but on some of those occasions, yeah, we were literally provided with nothing and so we needed the sleeping bags.
0: Yeah, I guess we probably did. I mean, um, we weren't too happy about having to pack them. Um, More for the space issue than for the weight issue, I would say. We're pretty hardcore on the minimalist packing. We try to take uh, as little as we can and we do a pretty good job, I think, of keeping our bags small. and. Um, not caring very much so yeah packing a sleeping bag was something that we didn't really want to do but yeah it seemed like a good idea and I think it probably was a good idea for this particular situation
1: we also packed inflatable pillows because we'd heard that albergues weren't providing pillows either Uh, that was not quite so useful
0: no that was fake news um (laughs) Uh, there was only one albergue where we were not provided with a pillow, but I think if we had asked for one, they probably would have given us one. Every other place, there was a pillow already there on the bed. So, yeah, we didn't need to bring those.
1: Right. So, with our bags packed, we decided to head off on Camino, and I'd just like to begin talking about the actual trail with an encounter that we had with a German pilgrim. This was in the city of redondela and... He didn't speak English that well, and we unfortunately don't speak German, having focused more on the Latin languages than the Germanic languages, Uh, and so we had a little bit of trouble communicating with him, but at one point he was trying to ask us something, and in the end we kind of understood what his question was, and it was, is this Camino different from the previous ones that you've taken? And once we kind of thought that we understood that that was the question, I think we were both thinking to ourselves, well, of course it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we answered in a polite way and said, oh, yes, we've noticed that, too. You know, there are fewer pilgrims and some of the albergues are closed and there's just a little bit of a different vibe. Um, And he seemed quite relieved uh, with that. He said, oh, good. So it's not just me. (laughs) Uh, And we said, no, no, it's definitely not just you. Um, And it was just kind of a funny little episode. And the moral of the story is that, yes, this Camino was different.
0: Yeah, it's definitely different now than it has been at any other time. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that it was bad. It was just different. Um, so, yeah, we can talk about what those differences are.
1: Yeah, let's start with the number of pilgrims that we've mentioned. Obviously, when you begin from Lisbon, this is not quite as popular. And so we, it took us 20 days to walk to Porto. And that was nearly two-thirds of our Camino. In those 20 days, I think we saw 16 other pilgrims, and almost all of them except one we only saw once.
0: Right. Yeah, they weren't people that we really connected with or, uh, I mean, we assumed that we were going to see them more. And then for some reason, we just never did. So we ended up not talking to them very much. Uh, So we didn't have very much camaraderie for those first 20 days.
1: Our our observations were obviously that that there were few pilgrims even from Porto. It wasn't that uncommon for us to walk on the trail for two or three hours and not see anybody. Uh, when we were in albergues, um, it was common that there might just be one or two or three other people in the entire albergue. Or none. Or none, yes, in uh, Armentera, which is the sort of first stage of the variante espiritual, which is a, a variant that we walked. We were the only people in the albergue, and the albergue has space for 25, I think it has 25 beds or 26 beds. And I'd read something from somebody who had walked last year who said that they missed out on a bed that it was completely full Mm. and that they actually had nowhere else to stay because there's only one other place to stay in that town and it wasn't taking pilgrims at that time and they had to sleep on a porch outside or something like that because the albergue was full but it was completely empty uh, when we were there so there were definitely far fewer pilgrims and that obviously has a big impact on your camino um, but there are positives as, as well as negatives or advantages as well as disadvantages disadvantages obviously are that you just don't have that same um feeling where every day you're you're meeting people and you're sharing stories and you're you're just having you know a, a really great time you know sharing the journey with other people mm-hmm. um You know, it's often common to have communal meals, and that's a really great time where you can really meet people and and swap stories. And so there there were very few occasions when we were able to do that on this Camino. Um, On the other hand, we got empty trails, which is always nice, Mm -hmm. Uh, and particularly when we did this variant that I just mentioned earlier, the Variante Espiritual, there's one section of that which is absolutely gorgeous, and it's called basically the stone and water route. And it's called this because you basically walk alongside this stream and there's all these ruins of these old water mills that are along the way. And that was the most beautiful stretch of the entire Camino for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in about three hours walking on that stretch, we didn't see any other pilgrims walking with us. And so it's really nice to, you know, be able to have those moments to ourselves.
0: Yeah. And I think that particular stretch is also a popular hiking route as well, not just for pilgrims, but also for day hikers. So I imagine it would normally get kind of busy, um, but it was nice to have it um, be really quiet and peaceful because it is such a beautiful, peaceful area.
1: And it wasn't something that we really thought about before we left, that we were actually going to be walking this second most popular Camino and it it would be far reduced in terms of numbers. And so, you know, that part from Porto... uh, it was just interesting to have that opportunity to walk it as though it were 20 years ago when mm-hmm. there are far fewer pilgrims walking in. I mean, we know a lot of other pilgrims who love walking these less traveled routes because they love the solitude um, and being able to connect with the nature and just being able to have that time to themselves. And so you don't usually get that uh, on the latter part of this route, but we got it this time.
0: Yeah. And we have done uh, one or two Caminos like that before, particularly the Camino de Madrid that we walked last year, which is a very um, unpopular and <laughs> so therefore kind of solitary route. Um, so we'd already had that experience of being on a Camino and not meeting hardly any pilgrims. So we knew what that was like. So maybe that was, that made it a bit easier um this time around, than if we had only ever walked the Camino Frances and we were used to meeting dozens of people every day and always being able to chat with someone if you, you know, if you're having a hard time on the walk and you, you want to distract yourself with some conversation, being able to, you know... Uh, chat with someone else who's who's coming by, that's not really an option uh, right now. But that was fine because we had had that experience before.
1: Yeah. And the other difference is that obviously we walk as a couple. So we have each other mm-hmm. uh, and it's different for solo walkers. There was one in particular who we met and we'd actually been in touch with uh, before he started. And his plan was to walk from Lisbon to Porto because uh, he had a flight into Lisbon and a flight out of Porto. And then I was doing a live thread on the Camino de Santiago forums, which you can find at CaminoDeSantiago.me, and I was just talking about what it was like to walk and what places were open and things like that. And he read that and decided that the Lisbon to Porto route wasn't going to work for him because there were hardly any pilgrims and a lot of the albergues weren't open. And so he decided to actually start in Porto instead, uh, where there would be more other pilgrims and more services. So it affected his entire route uh, Mm -hmm. because he just didn't want to be walking by himself all day and, and be really, really solitary.
0: Yeah, and I think that was probably a good decision, also because he had a limited amount of time, so he didn't have much flexibility in terms of, you know, his stages and how much he wanted to walk each day, whereas for us, um, there were times when we could have walked further, but we didn't know if we'd be able to get accommodation, so we decided to just cut our day short, whereas, you know, if you have to be um, on a plane on a certain date, then you don't necessarily have that luxury.
1: Right, and that does bring us to the next point, and this is the thing that affected our Camino probably the most, was that a lot of the accommodation options were closed during the pandemic. Um, This was especially true in the early part of the route. All of the municipal albergues, which is the government-run albergues in Portugal, are closed. And in that stretch from, to, uh, from Lisbon to Porto, there really aren't many other private albergues at all. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of towns, you're the only real option for pilgrim accommodation is this municipal albergue. And so when those are closed, as they all were for us, uh, we had to either find other accommodation, a, a sort of guest house or a budget hotel in that town, or we had to change up our route and walk a little bit further or, or not as far as we had planned
0: or even walk off the camino which we did a few times we would walk say you know not a huge distance off but one and a half or 2 kilometers off of the camino to a different town where we could find accommodation
1: yeah and it sort of changed the way that we planned our stages as well especially if you're walking on something like the Camino Frances when you have so many options for accommodation in a non-pandemic time you can just make up your stages as you go Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's uh, I really like that aspect as well if you feel like you're feeling good you can walk more you walk more if you don't uh, maybe you walk a little bit less Mm -hmm. Uh, but we didn't really have that choice at all we really had to be aware of what we were going to be doing the next day and so we were calling Well, you were calling because you speak better Portuguese than me. Uh, You were calling ahead, you know, one day ahead to the accommodation options just to see if they were open. Mm -hmm. And then if we found one that was open, then we said, oh, great, we're going to come. You know, make sure you stay open for us tomorrow because we're coming. And so we had to book one day in advance that way just to make sure of it.
0: Yeah, Um, which is something I would definitely recommend doing uh, in these times because, yeah, you just don't know. You know, sometimes we would get conflicting information. We had heard that a place was open, but it turned out that when we called, they said that they were closed or vice versa. Um, So, yeah, it was definitely a good idea for us to call ahead each night the day before.
1: And once we reached Porto, this was less of an issue because there are more private albergues on this route being far more popular. Um, but we still did call ahead because there were still some that were, were closed. I mean, even once we got to Santiago, we read something in a local newspaper there that said that there are 25 albergues in Santiago and only seven of them were open throughout September. Right, And September is obviously usually a really peak time for the Camino. So to have, uh, you know, 18 out of 25 closed or at least partially closed throughout the month shows that even a lot of the private um, albergues were were closed as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully these places will be able to reopen and recover from this, you know, once the pandemic is over, because there are a lot of businesses that depend on pilgrims that are really hurting right now.
1: So in the end, we didn't stay in... That many albergues, or not as many as we usually would. Um, It turned out that of the 32 nights, we only stayed in shared accommodation four times. Mm. Um, And I think at least two of those times, there was only one other person, one other pilgrim in the room. And sometimes we would stay at an albergue and once we checked in, they would put us in a smaller room with maybe four beds and say, we're not going to put anybody else in this room, which we appreciate for health reasons, which we appreciated. Um, And so usually I think what an albergue would do is they just put everybody who arrives first in one room and they fill the rooms that way because that makes it easier for cleaning and things like that. Um, But in pandemic times, they're a little bit more understanding and they tried to separate people as much as possible.
0: Yeah, and they also had restrictions. I mean, they were not running at full capacity. Even if, um, you know, there were enough pilgrims to, to fill the places, which in most cases there weren't, they would not have filled them completely. Um, I believe they were running at 50% capacity. I don't know if that was the exact rule or if it was more a case of distance, you know, depending on how much distance they could have between the beds. Um, but yeah, they were spreading people out as much as they could, for sure.
1: And this also has its advantages and disadvantages. Obvious advantages are, uh, you know, a typical dorm room has bunk beds, and a lot of people don't like the top bunk. Mm -hmm. And the top bunk was out on a Camino pandemic because when you're at 50% capacity, uh, everybody just fills the bottom bunks, and and that's it. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, you know, having fewer people in a room is is nice in general. But the other thing is that usually when you're in an albergue, and and if it's a large one, and there there are lots of pilgrims, you know, coming in and trickling in and arriving throughout the afternoon, you. know there's a kind of sense of excitement and you're meeting new people and you're talking about your day and so you know we just didn't have that aspect that much.
0: No, there definitely wasn't as much interaction with people at the albergues, but there was some. And then there were a lot of times when we weren't in albergues at all, when we were in, like you said, guest house and budget hotels, um, which was a bit more expensive than it would have been if we had been staying in an albergue every night. So that's another consideration. Traveling as a couple, it wasn't as bad because uh, accommodation is pretty affordable. In Portugal especially, we could often get... A double room for between 30 and 35 euros a night. Um, So that's not, um, you know, a huge expense. But if you're a single pilgrim, and you're getting a single room, then it's probably going to be a bigger difference between a single room and a bed in a dorm.
1: Yep. One of the other things that I wanted to mention was that, and this wasn't really relevant to us, but we met quite a few other pilgrims uh, who didn't cross into Spain to finish their Camino and the pandemic affected the route that they took. And it was quite interesting because we, at first we didn't really understand it. We got to one alberga and there were four or five other pilgrims who had, were walking in the other direction from us. Um, and what they were doing was that they had come from the UK or elsewhere in, in continental Europe and for quarantine reasons, for insurance reasons, they wanted to just stay in Portugal the entire time. And it turned out that the Portuguese route is quite a good one for this, because there are two routes from Porto, the coastal route and the central route. We walk the central route, and we'll talk about the differences between the two routes in a future episode. But what they were doing was walking up the coastal route, and then just before entering Spain, they would cross over, join the central route, and then walk south back to Porto. So they could make a loop out of it and still you know, have the Camino experience and everything, but not actually go to Santiago, but just walk in Portugal the entire time.
0: Yeah, which is a pretty good idea, actually, and it works particularly well here because, A, you have the two different routes that make a loop, but also you have the uh, pilgrimage to Fatima, which is also a very important place of pilgrimage, particularly for Portuguese people, and the Camino de Fatima and the Camino de Santiago are virtually the same Camino for almost all the way. And so you'll see double arrows, this double arrow system um, along the whole way, at least on the central route. I don't know about the coastal route. Um, so you'll have yellow arrows that will be pointing you to Santiago and then blue arrows pointing you back in the opposite direction to Fatima. So what that m- means is if you go up the coastal route and then back down the central, um, in any other situation, you would be walking backwards, let's say, you'd be walking against the signage, which would make it really difficult for wayfinding, but you can just follow the blue arrows that will point you down to Fatima, so that makes it really easy.
1: Right. And so the night that we met some people doing this, we were staying at Casa de Fernanda and she had a capacity of nine and she was full. She's the only alberca that that seems to be able to, to be full because she's so popular and everybody knows about her and wants to stay with her. And there were four of us going towards Santiago and there were five coming the other way. And it wasn't one group of five. It was a couple and I think three individuals who had all independently uh, come up with this idea of, of creating this loop, which doesn't really exist or wouldn't really exist in a non-pandemic situation, but it made sense for them that they could, you know, do a longer Camino, but still stay in Portugal the whole time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, obviously, walking both in Portugal and Spain, there are certain rules uh, that we had to observe in terms of mask wearing. Um Masks had been mandatory in indoor public spaces in Portugal for about four months before we started walking the Camino. So we were very used to it. Um, And, you know, we actually wear our masks when we're outdoors in Lisbon anyway, even though that's not mandatory. And so the, the concept of wearing a mask wasn't new to us when we started walking on the Camino.
0: No, not at all.
1: Um, and so we continued to do as we would do in Lisbon, which is that we obviously wore the mask when it was mandated in indoor public spaces. When we were in urban areas, we would wear our masks as well. Um, when we were in rural areas and we were able to social distance and there was nobody else around us, we would take our masks off.
0: Yeah. So for most of the day, when we were walking, we were not wearing a mask. It would only be when we were passing through towns or villages. Whenever we started to see people, then we would put our masks on.
1: And then once we crossed into Spain, the rules and the regulations surrounding mask wearing uh, are different. Spain, having been hit much uh, harder by the pandemic, has very strict mask rules, even uh, you know by the standards of any country, I believe. Mm-hmm. And you're actually really supposed to wear your mask at all times.
0: Yeah. I think technically you know, when you're saying you're in an albergue, so you're always in public spaces, whether they're outdoor or indoor spaces, that means you have to wear it at all times, except when you're in the shower, when you're eating or when you're sleeping. Um, so, uh, and also when you're out walking, even if it's in a rural area, you're technically supposed to be wearing the mask. Um, what we found that people did in practice, we kind of took our cues from the locals because we would sometimes come across local people who were out walking their dogs or just going out for exercise on these trails. And usually they would not be wearing the mask but um as soon as they saw us as soon as they saw that they were uh about to pass someone then then they would have their mask at the ready and they would put it on quickly um which i really appreciated because it was a sign of respect they were protecting themselves but they were also doing it to protect us and uh Yeah, I really liked that. So that's what we started doing as well.
1: And it was particularly easy for you because you had a special mask.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My friend Yuki uh, makes these masks that have a little uh, strap, like a neck strap. So I could wear it around my neck. And then as soon as I needed to put it on, it was right there. So that made it really easy.
1: And so that was, uh, as you were mentioning, that was in the rural areas. In the urban areas, from what we could see, people were following these regulations and Almost 100% of people were wearing masks when they were just walking around uh, a city like Tui or like Santiago de Compostela. Yeah. And it was interesting for us because in Portugal, mask wearing just generally outdoors and urban areas is, is far less widespread. And we would estimate maybe half the people do it. Um, and so in Spain, seeing everyone do it was, was quite interesting. And we were obviously doing it as well. And then when we returned to Portugal, it was a little bit unusual. Just on our first day back in Lisbon to see so many people um, walking around the city without masks.
0: Yeah, even now still when we go out and see people without masks, it's a little bit unnerving. So it's interesting how quickly you can adapt to a new situation. Like we were only in Spain for nine days, um, but already that became our new normal that you just wear masks all the time. And I did feel safer. Like I, I did like, I mean... You know, I remember wearing the mask for the first time several months ago and I was like, oh, I don't like this. It's difficult to breathe. It's getting in my way. But but now I'm used to it and it makes sense, I think, to to wear it all the time when you're out in a city and you're, you know, constantly walking past other people.
1: And we also had special masks as well. We had... Um... Camino de Santiago themes masks. And so the pattern was the pilgrim stamps that you get in your uh, credencial. Mm-hmm. And so that was also something nice because it marked us out as, as pilgrims.
0: Yeah, and it's going to be part of our Camino memorabilia that we keep and cherish from this Camino, just like uh, our credenciales and our compostela and our shell, you know, we keep all, and our buffs, we keep all those things in a little box, a little special Camino box. And uh, so now I think our Camino masks will have a special place in there as well.
1: Actually, the problem is I like mine too much that I'm wearing it now in Lisbon, so I, (laughs) you know, I need to uh, put it away and get another one, I think. the other thing that we mentioned earlier was hand sanitizer. Um and as we said, that's very widespread. Portugal is seen as kind of optional. When you go into a shop in Spain, um you, you basically have to use it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, you might walk into a we might have walked into a shop and not immediately seen where the sanitizer was and just kind of kept walking in and some one of the staff members would point to it and say, No, can you use this please? Um and that was quite interesting because if you're doing some tourist shopping at the end of your Camino in Santiago, uh, and you're going into a store for a minute and then into the next store for a minute and then uh, you know the next one, uh, you have to keep sanitizing you know over and over again. Um, but it's yeah, you know, it's for uh, a good reason. So uh, we were fine to do it, but it just took a little bit of getting used to to know that you might have used hand sanitizer two minutes earlier and not touched anything in the interim, but then you have to go and do it again the next time you went to another shop.
0: Yeah. But it's also become automatic, you know, that you just look for it as soon as you walk into any building.
1: Right. So with all of these differences that we've mentioned, um, how do you think overall it, it impacted, you know, our whole Camino?
0: Um, I mean, it did impact it, obviously. But, you know, the pandemic has impacted all aspects of life. But then on the other hand, we're also just kind of getting on with life. And so I think it was similar on the Camino. Like... Uh, we just got on with it and and just kept walking and you know we did it meant that we didn't have as much interaction with people but we did still have some and we really cherished those moments and we also appreciated um you know the solitary moments where we were walking on our own as well so i was just so grateful to be out there um you know we we normally travel a lot travel is a huge part of our lives And I do it professionally as well. And so I had all these trips that were canceled this year. And uh, when people were asking me in March and April, you know, when everything was just starting and they were saying, oh, where's the first place that you want to travel once we're able to travel again? And I said, I want to go on Camino. Like, that's what I want to do. I just want to walk and walk and walk and just not stop walking. And we finally got to do that. So... That was really special.
1: It was, indeed, and a good note to end on, I think. So, thank you very much for listening, and until our next episode, Bon Camino.
0: And Bon Camino. Thanks for listening. For more great content about the Camino de Santiago, visit our website at spiritofthecamino.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SpiritOfTheCamino. ¡Buen Camino!